Live from the Business Radio X studio in Atlanta, it's time for Dental Business Radio. Brought to you by Practice Quotient. Practice Quotient bridges the gap between the provider and payer communities. Now here's your host, Patrick O'Rourke. Hi there, friends of Dental Business Radio. This is your host, Patrick O'Rourke. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, with us, we have a very special guest, and it's David Harris, and he is the CEO of Prosperident and out of Halifax. And one of the things that I wanted to ask David, because this whole show is really about when I came from corporate America and I got into the dental niche, there's a lot of strange things that, that are different, like maybe strange to me. So I had to call people and I'm like, what's the deal with that? Certainly one of my top three things was the amount of theft that goes on in, in dental practices. It's a, it was appalling to me. And I, I was, I was shocked. It was like, it's so rampant. My, theory and my thought, and this is not going to be politically correct here, but I said, well, why don't we just, there's so much of it because the person goes from practice to practice, right? And we should just take the the tip of their pinky finger and just cut it off. And so that way, if they go to a job interview and they're wearing gloves, you know why, you know, you're like, oh, so it, it's really shouldn't be cruel and unusual punishment. It's just more of a tag, like, oh, you're a thief, right? So you know, in other countries, they cut off hands. Like, I'm not getting crazy. I'm just saying, you know, just the tip of the pinky. That way we know that you like to take things that don't belong to you. Um, you know, I'm sure that that's not in your book, David, but um, feel free to appropriate it um, if you'd like. So with that, let me say hello. How are you? I am great. And uh, just excited to be with you. I am excited to have you. Um, so, you know, I'll kick it off with th- with that comment. Um, but the, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself first, and then we'll dive into adventures of thievery in in the dental community. Um, absolutely. Well, for the last thirty four years, Patrick, I've been the CEO of Prosperident, and Prosperident is a dental only forensic investigation company. So we, we work only for dental practices. We have 23 people and we basically do two things. When a dentist has that spidey sense that something is not right, we investigate and we, we do it in a stealthy way. In other words, we do it in such a way that the staff who are being investigated have no idea that they're being looked at. Hmm. And we also work proactively with practice owners to help them put the safeguards in place that will stop them from being uh, one of those nasty statistics. Gotcha. And so your credentials are very impressive. Licensed private investigator for this is one of those words. Like you read a lot. F O R S E N I C forensic forensic. Thank you. There's forensic accountants and that's a, to your friend, forensic certified public accountant or CPA, and a certified fraud examiner. You also wrote the book of Dental Embezzlement, The Art of Death and the Science of Control, in addition to 30 other you know articles, and you've probably been all over the place speaking. Um, and you say that this is the coolest job in dentistry. Do you think of it like cops and robbers? Like, 
There's a yes, yes, you do. He's nodding, so not everybody can see you, but I can. He's like, yeah, hell yeah, I do. I do. There's a there's a, a mental battle that goes on between my investigators and investors because huh. they all know we're out there. Um, they never know that we're looking at their practice, but everybody who steals has some concept that you know I might be caught, and the chance of me being caught is less if I get a little more sophisticated. So. Uh, what we do all day, Patrick, is kind of like trying to solve a jigsaw puzzle and somebody else keeps hiding some of the pieces on you. Uh-huh. When you find or you can interpolate those missing pieces and they all fall into place and you can see what's happening, every one of my investigators says the same thing. There's a rush you get when you solve the crime. That is cool, I have to say. It's like I call some of the stuff we do with you know, insurance stuff, like the Scooby-Doo mystery. Um, and when you solve it, it's nice because you can check it off the list, but I'm not sure that we get a big adrenaline rush out of it. Um, so that is, that is neat. Is it like unmasking the villain in Scooby-Doo? I guess it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty I awesome. Don't be shy. I've to that before, but uh, I'll take it. Uh, well, welcome to the show. I have all kinds of different analogies. <laughs> um, so the, when you say the level of sophistication, from the um, the culprits or the the uh, I say thieves, um, does it get? Do you mean it's like getting more sophisticated just over time, or is it the same person that's getting more sophisticated when they figure out you're on the trail? Um, it's probably a little of both. So you have some thieves who use very crude rudimentary methods, and well, like what? I, well, like, John Ray's listening intently. I've never seen him pay this much attention to a show. Let's I'm, get him I'm over gonna, there. I'm, I'm going to be a little guarded in my responses, Patrick, because ultimately you and I can't control who's listening to this. And the last thing I want to do is educate thieves. That's right. Thieves, you turn this off right now. I'm, I'm not going to get too specific about methodologies. What I will say is that with some of them, it's it's the embezzlement equivalent of taking a brick and throwing it through the window of a of a liquor store and walking out with bottles. Mm. For some of them, it's at that level. Um, then you see smarter thieves who are very good at studying their doctor's patterns, understanding what the doctor looks at and what they don't, and then building their stealing in a way that kind of navigates around what their doctor looks at. Um, the other the other factor that should be introduced probably into the conversation is technology because every technological innovation in the dental front desk, in other words, every business innovation creates opportunities. So when dentists started taking credit cards, because when I started in this business, most didn't. When they mm-hmm. started taking credit cards, that opened some doors to investors. When right, they brought check scanners into their offices, when practice is computerized, when they went from one computer at the front desk to a local area network and every operatory at terminals, all those things create opportunities for a thief. Gotcha. And so, and usually, and I, 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 I'm not as close to it, but I, and I'm just certainly not looking for it, but again, like it's hit my radar so many times, typically, what from what I've seen, this is anecdotal. The person has been doing it for a while, you know. It's and it's it's 
sad. And then the, the doc is like, well, they don't want to believe it. And then they kind of blame themselves. And so then they don't, you know, prosecute the, the culprit. Um, and hence my idea of the pinky. Um, and so is how I'm just curious about, so they bring you in, you catch them red handed. Is there a material percentage of time where the person is not answering to the uh, official authorities? You know, the percent of time that that happens in our cases is very small. We strongly encourage and make it much easier for the doctor to put these people into the justice system and make sure that they get punished properly. Um, I think sometimes, Patrick, people go about this whole process the wrong way. Okay. Um, And you can picture a dentist showing up at a police station with a shoebox full of reports from their software and pointing to it and saying, see, it's all in there. (laughs) Right. Okay. And expecting the the detective they're talking to, you know, who might have a high school education or maybe, maybe a college degree, but in some other field to dig in and solve this crime. And they can't. I see. So how do you make things easier for the, for the, for the gumshoe? We solve the crime and we provide a final report that any detective can work with to make sure that the law gets applied. Um, gotcha. This, this is an incredibly technical crime. And you're, you're dealing probably with, with somebody who's used to solving things like auto theft or maybe shoplifting. And when those things happen, the, the question of what is stolen is is pretty easy to figure out. I mean, if you phone the if you phone the police tonight and say somebody stole my car, here's the make, here's the here's the model number, here's the VIN, this is what year it is. I mean, the, the what is not a question. The, the, the difficult question is who stole it. Um, in in dental theft, those things are reversed. The the who is very easy. I mean, it's you know typically in any dental practice, you're down to maybe one or two possible suspects. Um, mm-hmm. The challenging question is what got stolen? Money, right? Well, sure, but you know you have to be a little more specific. You know, it was this check from this insurance company on this date that got cashed by somebody else. And, okay. You know, you need typically to point to concealment in the records because it's it's the concealment that establishes that this was the act of a guilty person. Um, so you're yeah, just kind of making me a little bit sad about like i just learned something about our authorities or local authorities where they're not sophisticated and electronic crime is like what's going on they're like well they didn't steal a banana and they didn't steal a car you know but they should but anyway that's probably a whole nother show uh john ray mental note like let's get some cops on here so we can talk to them um to tell you what was stolen from you you have to tell them that and once you do, then then they can work to apply the law. But it's it's not their job to figure out what was missing. You know, it would be like, um, and let let me further that car analogy. Friday night, you phone the police and you say, I think somebody stole my car. Mm-hmm. They say, I'm sorry to hear that, Mr. O'Rourke. What's the make and model? And you say, you know, it might be a Mercedes. Um, but now that I think about it, maybe it's a Tesla. Well, I see. Okay, that's a good. Kind of say, All right. Okay. Uh, what color is it? You, know, you say, I don't know, some dark color. They're going to say, got a lot of cars. Mr. O'Rourke, here's what I want you to do. Take a taxi home, sober up. <laughs> in the morning, <laughs> you still can't find your car. Why don't you call us back? 
I mean, that, that would be their response. Like, you know, it's, it's not our job to figure out what car was stolen from you. You have to, you have to tell us that. Got it. That, so, th- that's a very good analogy. Thank you. The, the problem starts with somebody, as I say, coming into the, into the police station with the shoebox full of stuff and getting the very cold shoulder from the detective. That's, that's gotcha. That, that, that's why a lot of this stuff doesn't get prosecuted because people don't understand how to build the case and assemble the evidence and consider a whole bunch of things. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. The police with a solved crime and say, okay, this is what happened. Here's the date it started. Here's the last date it happened. Here's how we know it is this person as opposed to the other eight people who work in the practice. Okay. Now go do your job. And they will. Got it. That, that you just connected the dots. All right. That makes sense. So in anecdotally, in most cases, do you then, you know, let's just make up a name, right? So let's say at our office, we figured out John Ray was stealing money again. And then we're like, all right. So we, we think it's John Ray. We're pretty sure it's him. Um, not just pretty sure, but we are 99.9% sure. And then do you confront John Ray or is it the culprit? Um, depends on the situation. And, or do you just call the cops? Um, normally, we don't confront because one of the things that the dentist who's calling us wants to hear at the first moment is when we know who, who it is. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, we know who it is and we know they're stealing. And we call the dentist and we say, all right, we've got it confirmed. Let's let us walk you through a termination event. So we we will prepare the doctor to fire you, that. You do mean a firing. I right? do. Not I do. firing, not actual termination, firing. just for the uh, our sensitive listeners. Yeah, well, for our sensitive listeners, it kind of ends with, and don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. All right. Um, so we, we, we will arrange a firing. Um, a lot of times, you know, most dentists don't get to fire a whole lot of people in their lives, thankfully. So they're, they're, looking for some help as to how to structure this. And um, we will often even script an exit interview. So they, they pretty much have a script they can read when they, when they let this person go. Um, I've fired a lot of people in my career, hired and fired. I mean, I don't know, a hundred at least. It's yeah. never easy. The first, the first few times are awful, right? Even if they deserve it now, but I think if somebody was stealing from me, that it would be a little different where I come from. That's a very Makes it easier, but big sign of disrespect. Let's acknowledge Patrick that dental practices are small places. You know, sure. they have a small workforce. They have a little bit of shared misery that kind of draws everybody a little bit closer together. You know, so there's a there's a kind of tightly knit interpersonal dynamic there, and, and also dentists are are kind people, and they're they're generally very altruistic, and it. it yeah, very trusting. Great. And that's why they were able to steal in the first place. So there's a lot of tears in this circumstance then. I'm, I'm very sure that some of these folks don't sleep well the night before they have to do this. So we we hold their hand as much as we can. And we, we will give them, as I say, a scripted exit interview that really makes it a whole lot easier for them because then they don't have to think about it. They just have to read it. You guys should have a fire. Somebody, does anybody ask to have like the George Clooney? There was that movie where all he did was fly around places and start firing people. That um, should be a service you have. I, I'm, I'm sure if we offered that service, a lot of people would take us up on it. But no, that, that really needs to be the dentist. The other thing that we're 
looking for. Not that not that we need it for prosecution, but it always makes the dentist feel better is a bit of a confession. And the way that we orient that exit interview is um, largely designed to help produce that confession. Would would you say that confession comes more than half the time? You know, it depends on why somebody steals as to whether they confess. So there are two kinds of thieves. Okay. There are needy thieves, and their needy thieves are um, dealing with their back against the wall financially. You know, they're two months behind in the mortgage payment. They've got creditors chasing them, and they're they're stealing right. to not lose their house. They need baby diapers and formula, et cetera. And yeah. People feel terrible about what they're doing, but they just think they don't. They they just think they don't have a choice. So when they're confronted, normally they will break down and confess. And they okay. get greedy thieves, and they're stealing out of entitlement. So they feel like society's not rewarding them properly for their talents, and they're they're taking what they think they should be paid. You know, they're taking what they think they deserve. Hmm. These people are defiant. They uh, they tend not to confess. They're they're also often a bit sociopathic. And if you if you if you think about sociopathy, one of the characteristics is that sociopaths can kind of rewrite history in their own version. So they're not remorseful. They're not, they don't feel bad about this at all. They, if anything, they're mad at the doctor for not paying them in the first place, what they think they deserve. That's uh, bold. That's my polite word. Yeah, so they, you know, they, they tend not to confess. But so they just bust out with like, it's not my fault. It's your fault that you yeah. weren't paying me what I'm worth. I've been running this show over here, doc. And the only reason you're successful, doctor, is because I keep your chair full and I collect money when people leave it. So you should have doubled my salary years ago. And when you didn't, I just started taking the money. Right. Wait, this point. place is going to fall apart when I leave. How dare you? They won't verbalize that last part, but they're sure as heck thinking it. Right. So is there ever any dust ups on the way out? Because really. you don't really know whether what they're they're whether needs based or just um sociopathic greedy right in your most two times types you, most you times. do and and when we start going through the characteristics of the two thieves with the dentist normally they'll put their finger on one or the other ah uh, see yeah because they know they're, they're folks right and you know it, it also comes down patrick to how the people spend money so the the needy folks i mean they're just paying the bills uh the greedy people and bear in mind that it's an ego deficit that they're trying to fill Mm-hmm. They will spend the money they steal conspicuously. You know, they'll buy the shiny new car. They'll take expensive vacations. They'll buy really? so you not not really hard to separate these two categories. This is fascinating. Um, so they just pull up in the brand new. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe not a Mercedes, but you know, they have a new car. It could be a Mercedes. Well, uh, one, of our, one of our thieves bought a BMW Seven Series, so that's about a forty thousand dollar automobile. That's and, much more than that. Yeah. Uh, these days, that's well, that's pretty wild. Um, so John Ray pulls up in a, in a brand new Trans Am T tops. I don't think they make them anymore. They're not brand new. It'd be a classic. I think he already has one too. So anyway, I digress. Um, so one seven series, and then the other would be all right. Well, we, you know, we went to uh, Spain or we went to Fiji. You know, they're taking all these vacations where. There, no one, like I've never been to Fiji, you know, I'm not saying I'm, you know, I'm not Warren Buffett either, but, um, you know, I don't work the front desk. Does that make sense? Yeah. So 
where where these where's where some of the funny trips that these guys are going on? Well, I remember one of our alumni, as we fondly called them, who chartered a plane and she took six of her girlfriends to New York for a shopping weekend. <laughs> and the rest of the story, as they used to say, was that uh, her friends all made more money than she did, at least officially. And this was kind of her way of waving her financial flag and saying, you know what, I'm doing okay too. Keeping up with the Joneses. Keeping up with the Joneses. So, and now we're in this age of social media. Are these folks putting their jet trips, their jet set trips on the, uh, on the, on the Facebook? I feel very old. Some of them have enough sense not to, but most of them don't. And again, it's ego. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll think of another embezzler who officially was paid about $60,000 a year. She would take a limousine to church. She, um, she would buy $8,000 front row concert tickets. And the whole point of this is they want to be seen. She she wanted her friends 282 rows back to see her sitting there in the front row and and, and thank Misty because that's her name. Uh, oh, Misty's got it going on. The limousine to church? Limousine to church. I mean, I don't know what kind of church that is, but um, you know, if you're if you're the preacher man or you're the deacon. Deacon John Ray over there. Deacon John Ray is like, I wonder how much they tithe. You know, um, I said, I'm to church. That's that's not saintly. Um, anyway, um, that's hilarious, though. I have to say, I have a I have a very twisted sense of humor. That's pretty damn funny. Um, so <laughs> yeah, you're definitely calling attention to yourself. Um, so they're doing that. So you have the two types and as you're, you know, you're typically not on, you know, unmasking the, you know, the guilty party at the the practice you're letting the client do that. Right. Um, and then the client would know if it's going to get hairy and then if they, it's going to get hairy with that person, or if they have any anxiety or trepidation, then you're like, all right. So then you got to call in like a bodyguard, like, um, you know, if it was me, I would call John Ray. I'd be like, John Ray, you got to be in here because, you know, nobody wants to tango with John. Good to know. Yeah. He looks tough too, though. He does. Yeah. So, but do does, does people do that? Yeah, some people will. It's not necessarily a bodyguard. Um, you know, very few of these folks have a history of violence, uh, which, of course, is not to say that somebody couldn't get violent, but they're already in some legal trouble. And at that moment, they know it. You know, how much do you want to tag on an assault charge? That's a good point. Um, but they're, they're sociopathic. Yeah, uh, even sociopaths don't, don't tend to turn that way. Um, and, and, and sociopaths are fundamentally selfish. Uh, so what they're thinking at that point, Patrick, is, okay, so this is a nonviolent crime. Uh, it's my first offense, you know, especially if I make some restitution, I'm probably not going to jail. As, as soon, though, as they, um, as, as, as they hit somebody, that all changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no, you can't, you can't write a check to get you, get out of that one. Uh, in, in most states, if the victim gets full restitution, the, the, the thief's not going to jail. Right. It's a white collar, right? Um, 
And it's typically their first charges. Like these aren't career criminals for the most part. Some of them are. There are two groups. There are the the, the kind of long term thieves. You know, they work in a practice for a long time, and eventually they start stealing money. You know, sometimes they're they're there twenty years before they start stealing. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the the serial embezzlers who are kind of like the hummingbirds of of stealing. I mean, they they will steal and they'll get caught and fire, and a week later they're more or less working across the street. Right. That's why they need special gloves. They keep doing that. Yes, that's why they oh. loves them. Some of them, uh, we saw one in particular who worked for and stole from 15 different offices. Excellent. And the only thing that shut her down was the, the occasional visit to prison. And when she got out, you know, she, she'd go right back and find another dental office and, and, and start stealing. Yeah, that's a, it's too bad. So, so that does happen where they're kind of career, but the, that's probably the exception, not the rule. Typically, about twenty percent of our embezzlers, maybe twenty five percent, have done it before. About fifteen. So was ten, fifteen. That's probably is that the high end or that's is that extreme. the average? That's extreme. Normally, we see you know maybe they get to three or four. Gotcha. And so then the first three or four, like they either didn't know or they just never reported the embezzler. Well, um, that's. What happens sometimes, I will say the dental profession as a whole is terrible at pre-employment screening. Dentists make hiring decisions all the time, knowing a lot less about the person they're about to hire than they could. Right. So how should a practice owner, what, what can they do better there in that stage besides just using a reference service, right? Well, or- you know, the first thing they can do is they need to think about this a little bit forensically. And it's hard. I mean, no dentist likes hiring people. And they, they they find that job very stressful and challenging, you know, to start with 20 resumes and interview three of them and get down to the one who's going to be a good fit for the office. None, none of them look forward to that. Really? So, why? Well, I, I, I like hiring people. It means like yeah, you're growing. And that's perhaps why you're not a dentist. Um, Could be. Universally, they despise it. And I've, you know, I've spoken in rooms of 300 people and asked them, okay, you know, show of hands, how many of you dentists like hiring staff? Maybe two hands go up, and I'm, even those two, I'm, I'm tending to think are, are, are playing teacher's pet. Oh. So they, they universally despise hiring. Did not know that. Uh, that also means that they tend to not want to prolong the, the, the hiring process. So. Reference checking in general doesn't happen, um, mm-hmm. or it doesn't happen very well, or it doesn't take much of an obstacle to derail them from doing it. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is they're not, in general, skeptical people. So let's say that, that, that I worked for Dr. John Ray, and I stole from him, and now I'm applying at your office, and I don't want you to call Dr. Ray, because if you do, I'm not going to get hired. So I, I give my uncle a disposable cell phone and I say, uh, when you answer this, please have a thick Southern accent and uh, pretend to be Dr. John Ray and give me a great, uh, a great reference. And inevitably, the doctor will call that number that I give them instead of going to, the, going to Google and finding Dr. John Ray and calling the number that Google gives you. Well, yeah, it's fairly clever. I don't, yeah, I don't know. If- you know, if I was looking at it, okay. I mean, um, never, never call any phone number that an applicant gives you. That, that, okay, that's a good point. It's really simple. 
uh-huh. go go find it online and call the call the number you find online. Then you know you're speaking with Dr. Ray. Right. All right. That's a terrific tip. Um, so all of our dentists out there who don't like hiring people, check references so that you don't get your stuff stolen. Yeah, right. when you say references, let's clarify too that I'm talking about former employers. Former is, employers. It is not remotely important to me what somebody's eighth grade science teacher or their high school basketball coach or their parish priest think about. Right. right. That's true. You know, even Vladimir Putin could probably find three people on the planet. <laughs> uh, well, he's very popular, actually. That's yeah, what um, that's, I hear. That's my point. Um, so Just ask him. We, thank you. So the only people I want to talk to are former employers. My rule is very simple. I want to talk to everybody that, that this person has worked for for at least the past five years. Bearing in mind, Patrick, that you know, this, this conversation may not be one that they actually want to happen. Right. Yeah. So uh, again, like I've hired folks for, and so that's kind of a key part, you know, so you're like, well, what happened there? What happened? Why'd you leave? You know? And so I guess after you've done as many interviews, I, I got my start doing call centers and, and dental insurance. So you, David, you may be shocked to learn this, but, um, Dental insurance is not all, um, you know, champagne and confetti and paparazzi and limo rides to church. Um, so not a lot of, you know, you're basically taking crap from people all day long, right? So, you know, turnover rate very high uh, and then you got to keep it staffed, et cetera. Um, and so and I'm from Tampa originally and there's a lot of call centers. And I'm like, all right, well, what happened? You know, and tell me why you left. And so you hear all kinds of crazy stories and, you know, eventually you're able to pick them out, but if you're not doing a lot of interviews, you haven't honed your interview skills probably. Right. Um, so that makes sense. Um, and the dentist is, is it the dentist or the, the dentist is interviewing the office manager or is the office managers interviewing? Cause they got, they, they should interview with both. I would think. Right. Or no. Well, and that depends on a lot of things, the size of the practice and, uh, you know, the capabilities of the office manager and stuff. But I'll go back to what I said a minute ago about most interstate hiring. So when you hate a job and you think you have the ability to delegate it, of course, you're going to. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so then they call like Dr. John Ray. So the one thing about docs, right, is like in dental practices in particular, whatever they're good or bad at, the all of them have the best gatekeeping system ever, right? It's very difficult to get to Dr. John Ray. So you need Dr. David Harris to call Dr. John Ray. And that's the only way Dr. John Ray is going to get on that phone. Okay. Unless of course it's Patrick or calling. I'm not a doctor, but. That is, that is very true. Yes. And uh, certainly when you're, when you're checking references, um, if I'm, if I'm a dentist and I'm about to hire staff, yes, I want to talk to their former employer, particularly if their former employer is a dentist, because you know, we will quickly find some common ground. You know, we know we know some of the same people or we went to the same dental school or, you know, there's there's something that I can probably say to that person that's going to encourage them to be a little bit candid with me as a, you know, as a one one professional to appear. Well, I'll give you everybody here a little tip when you're checking references, right? So you're not, you know, the attorneys are going to tell you an HR, right? So again, the corporate is saying, they're going to be like, you can't say anything bad. 
so if you pick up the phone and it's and they're like, um, yeah, Mary Sunshine worked here. That's correct. Well, did you like her? Mary Sunshine worked here. That's correct. And that's all they say. And tell me a little bit about Mary. It was, she, you know, what's the positive characteristics? And they keep saying the same thing over and over, like run. Um, because if you loved Mary Sunshine, then you would be like, Mary Sunshine is awesome. I wish she was back here. And, you know, I was sad to see her go. And she is just amazing. I would hire her back in a second, blah, blah, you know. Um, and so if they gush, then it's real. But if they're if they're very guarded, then, you know, you got a problem. This is just my opinion. One man's opinion. Um what do you think about that? Well, a couple of things I'll say there. First of all, um, you, you are, as, as a former employer in every state, you are categorically permitted to be candid. Are you? Absolutely no prohibition against saying anything negative as long as it's true. All right. Well, stick it, HR people. Yeah. The um, Damn. I wish I'd have met you years ago. Slander, which is, which is the, the, the tort that we're talking about. Um, requires you to make a statement that is three things. It is false, you know it is false, and it is injurious. So to to be sued for slander, those three elements have to be there. I repeat that one more time. A slanderous statement is false. False. It is knowingly false. Knowingly false. You knew that you were not telling the truth, and that falsehood injures person you're, you're you're talking about and i'm injuring them yeah. so all the stuff i say about john ray basically slander uh it could be all right i'm sorry john yeah. so um that, those those are the elements for slander you are correctly permitted to say the truth can never be slanderous okay it, it just it just can't so as long as you're speaking gospel yeah. right yeah. like you were stealing so they call they call Dr. Dr. David Harris calls Dr. John Ray and Dr. John Ray says, um, yeah, I worked here. Uh, we they had an incident where there was uh, some theft. And so we had we charged uh, Mary Sunshine. Here, and here, that's it. Um, OK. And, and, you know, we think, Patrick, we think of truth as being absolute. It isn't quite. So let's say, for example, you fire me for stealing. And nine months later, I'm in a courtroom and I get acquitted on some technicality. So in the eyes of the law, I didn't steal, but you said I did. I, I The next thing I'm going to do is sue you for slander. I, I probably won't collect, but you'll get hauled into a courtroom and you'll lose time from your practice and all kinds of things. Here's, here's the way I would handle um, giving a negative reference for somebody. Okay. You'd say under no circumstance that I could remotely imagine what I rehired. <laughs> that's, that's awesome that's, yeah that's, that's good i would give a negative reference as opposed to that person stole from me just under you know my attorney has instructed me to confirm their dates of employment and simply say that they are not under any circumstance eligible for rehire there you go that that's for all you out there in listener land that right there is the key they're not eligible for rehire if you're not going to bring them back you can't be sued for that because you haven't said anything factual all you said is, I have no plan whatsoever, even if they were the very last receptionist on the planet to rehire them. Okay. Right. I, I will answer my own phone. Plan to do in the future. Um, if, if, you're, if you're checking for references, there are a couple of things you can do. The first thing you can do is you can ask the person, the reciprocal of that question, would you rehire this person? And most employers will recognize that as a question they're safe to answer. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, and of course, anything other than a, than a quick yes, you know, if, if you ask that question and you get three seconds of silence and you kind of sense that somebody's choosing their words, that's an answer. Amen. All right. That's great. So, so start there. Um, Earlier, hold on, yeah, did you want to? There was something else, but it, it vanished and it'll come back. Wow. Um, okay. Well, we'll let it come back. That was a lot to chew on. We'll give all of our listeners moments to take notes. Don't take notes if you're driving, listeners, please. Um, earlier, you had mentioned that the the folks, some folks are like hanging out or, you know, during work and these are small, you know, places of business and you get to know everybody. And you said, well, they get to know the habits of the dentist owner slash boss. So can you expand on that? So are you telling me that they're like sizing these folks up? They're sizing up the doc and they're like, all right, well, I think he's going to do something or he or, he or she. Um, they're going to do something or like, can you expand on that a little bit for me? I'd be happy to. Um, a lot of dentists have a much simpler picture of how the embezzler makes their plan than they really do. Um, for example, you know, some, some dentists will uh, have a staff member take the deposit each day to the bank. And, <coughs> excuse me, you know how this story is going to end. Inevitably, in some practice, there will be more money that leaves the practice than what arrives at the bank. Mm -hmm. And the next thing the dentist says, and they'll verbalize this to me, you know, if only I had taken that deposit to the bank, um, it, it would not, uh, you know, I, I would not have been stolen. From. And I have to say to them, you know, your model of the embezzler is just a little simplistic. I mean, most of them have more than one um, more than one plan as to how they might steal from it. Mm -hmm. Their initial plan is just to pilfer money from the deposit and you frustrate that because you take the deposit to the bank yourself. It doesn't mean they go home and join the church choir at John Ray's church. <laughs> what it means is that they come up with another way to steal from you. And the, the analogy I use with them, and, and, and when dentists hear this, it all makes sense to them. I say, Imagine you and I are playing poker, mm -hmm. except that your cards have to be face up and my cards are hidden. Who do you think is going to leave the table with money? Uh, that would be you, David. And they all say, well, of course, you are. And I say, great. That's what embezzlement is like. If I work for you, Patrick, I know what your control systems are. In fact, I probably am a lot of your control systems. Mm. And really all I need to do is find a way that I can navigate around those control systems and I can steal. Um, so I'll just throw one more, one more statement into the mix before you respond. Um, one thing we, we see with embezzlers is that the typical embezzler is using three different methods at once. In other words, we see very few who only have one way to steal. They're, they're combining multiple methods and they're okay. just like, you know, they're just like somebody investing their money. I mean, if you're, if, if you're saving for your retirement, you don't take all your money and put it into Tesla stock. Diversification of uh, thieving revenue. Got it. This year. They, they, they diversify three. just like you do in your 401k. I, it, I, I have to say, like, it makes it makes sense. 
because I believe in diversification. So, I, I, yeah, and let's hear a top three. The model's a little more complex than, than probably most dentists appreciate. And there's a, there's a porosity of dental practices. I mean, there are a lot of ways you could steal. We have a, one of our teams sort of keeps track of the, the, the variety of methods that we've found. And we've found over 300. Wow. That's all. That's that's wild. I mean, you have twenty three investigators, that, and you only do dental, right? And so that I think that that says a lot about this issue. Yeah, and we, we have eighteen investigators. We also have some support staff, but um, yeah, that's you know we're a we're a fair sized company for this this little tiny niche that we fill. Tomato, tomato, right? Yeah. Um, all right, so we have 300 plus different type of varieties. And so share with me the three, give me three different methods of diversification for Mary, let's call her Mary Sunshine. Yeah, not going to do that. Um, oh, okay, that's right. We don't want to encourage or give any ideas to the Mary Sunshines that may not have thought of that yet. Yeah, we do not publicly comment on methodologies. Um, in, in really general terms, um, there are a couple of different ways that you could steal from a practice and you could steal on the expense side. So this would be something like tampering with payroll or maybe um, creating a fictitious supplier or something like that. You mm -hmm. can steal on the revenue side, which involves taking patient payments or insurance payments. I can tell you that more than 85% of our cases involve revenue theft and somewhere around 20% involve expense theft. And the reason those add up to more than 100 is some people are doing both. Uh, i.e. diversification i see okay very clever david um you real quick on the insurance part of it um is that elevated because it's now insurance fraud from a misdemeanor to a felony uh it's almost always a felony um you know virtually every embezzlement is a felony crime and it, it varies a little bit from state to state but in most states once you steal more than somewhere between two thousand and five thousand dollars it's a felony anyway so is it an additional felony for an insurance fraud? It depends. I mean, if if somebody and and there are there are two different concepts here. Um, one is getting an insurance company to pay for work that wasn't actually done, and then stealing that money. Mm -hmm. That's insurance fraud. Another right. is uh, just taking checks that properly come in from insurance companies and finding a way to cash them. That isn't really insurance fraud. It's stealing from the dentist as opposed to stealing from the insurance company. I, I see the difference. Okay. So those, those two are a little bit different. Um, a lot but if I'm the insurance company and I was for years and years and I still, you know, ident I identify as somebody from the insurance world, David, um, even though some of my colleagues like to claim me and some of them don't just depends, but it's okay. Um, but I put on my insurance company hat and I'm like, look, man, you're stealing from me. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Like we're going to sick it. Um, but it also has to be enough money because we're dealing with a much, much higher volume of dollars that we, it makes sense for us to come get you, you know? Um, so the insurance companies by and large, I'm just getting a sense and correct me, please, if I'm wrong, that they're bystanders here. It depends. Uh, sometimes they are stolen from, and usually they respond pretty aggressively when they sense that somebody's 
taking their money because they want to set an example and send a message. Right. Amen. I would we're not not going to turn a blind eye to this. So they're, you know, in, in, in my experience, when the insurance company thinks that they have improperly paid out money, they're they're very aggressive at going after whoever did it. See, insurance companies do good things, folks. They do. They're not all more money at that sometimes than what was actually stolen. In other words, I've I've seen them throw, I'm sure, fifty or sixty thousand dollars into effort to deal with somebody who stole fifteen thousand from fraud's a big deal, right? So we're like I'm certified in dental benefits administration. Like there's a whole book on fraud, right? It's like you have to, it's 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 a big deal, um, you know, with, especially when you're you're looking at that volume of dollars. And so, when if you get some somebody that's dead to rights, it's not. It's definitely not about the actual. You're not going to see the money. It's about. It is about making an example of them, and I couldn't agree uh, more with that. So uh, we personally, do, we do see insurance companies that are defrauded, um, but the more common thing is simply somebody taking incoming money from an insurance practice or, or from incoming money into a dental practice, which might be insurance. It might be patient payments and finding a way to put it in their own pocket. That's, that's the bigger thing that we see. And it, you know, it, from the insurance company's perspective, if we paid out what we were supposed to, and it fell into the wrong hands, uh, not really our problem. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I could, all right. So a topic for another day um, and probably with my colleagues on the insurance companies, but like, what if you sent it, you're supposed to pay for a service for the doctor and the patient took the check and cash it, you know, and, you know, so outside of embezzlement, the patient did it. Is that a crime? Yeah. That's, you know, you sent a claim in for, for this and it didn't go to the, to the service provider, i.e. So depends on whose name is on the check. You know, when you think of insurance companies and with, with some of them, and I'm thinking of Delta in particular, if a doctor is not in network with them, and Delta won't accept assignment of benefits. They will only pay the patient. That's only certain states. They love to say that, by the way. So well, some of California, North Carolina, Missouri, Washington State, the majority of them don't. Some states have laws against that, um, just for the record and for um, all of the providers out there. So I've, I've heard that, um, but... I don't like it. I feel like it's a bully tactic, um, you know, and it's not just them that do it. So I'm not picking on you, Double D. Don't call me and, with, you know, get all mad. Um, there's other carriers that do it. Um, and, you know, I could name names, but it doesn't matter. Um, if, if the check comes in the patient's name and the patient um, buys a TV with it instead of paying the insurance company. Um, uh-huh. You know, I'm, I'm not sure, first of all, that that's even a crime at all. Um, and secondly, if it is a crime, that the victim is the insurance company. That's an interesting point. I might follow up with you on that um, offline. Because <laughs> there's a, I talk about this a lot. And so there's a reason why they're doing that, right? So it's to scare, it scares the general dentist, like, you know, it scares them. And then they get in network like, Oh, nobody wants to drive around town with a baseball bat in their trunk to collect debts. Right. You know, you see the person at church, they don't want to make eye contact with you, you know? Um, and so that's, that's the issue. And so then they're like, Oh, I'm going to have to get in there. Well, that's, you know, if you're taking a, you know, 50% haircut to do that, is, is that, even reasonable um so 
I could go on forever on this one. Uh, and I've heard some other reasons like the unions would really want that to happen. But from my perspective, and I know we're getting a little off topic here, but just bear with me. The Nowhere in a corporate uh, mission statement or in our code of ethics does it say, you know what we'd like to do for our members is that we want to take them and, you know, um, we want smiles to the universe. We want them to have big smiles. And then we also want them to rip off all the providers. Right. And in my mind, if you get something and you don't pay for it, you're stealing. And then we're going to turn our members into criminals. I've looked, I've read all of their corporate statements and all of their, you know, and none of them say that. So um, at any rate, that's a a topic for another day. Sorry. Um, Well, when we have Mary Sunshine at Dr. John Ray's practice or at your dental practice, dear listeners, what are some of the red flags that Dr. John Ray can look for? Can you share some of those? Like what, 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 what signs set off the spidey senses? Well, you know, over 90% of thieves have some kind of behavior that they're doing that is consistent with stealing. So, yeah, looking at people's behavior is a great idea. What does stealing behavior look like? A lot of things. I'll give you a few. Okay. The first one, Patrick, is a lot of thieves are reluctant to take vacation because when they're gone from the office, they have given up control over how information flows through that office. You, you mentioned the word gatekeeper a, a while ago, and thieves tend to be particularly efficient gatekeepers. Mm. And when, uh, for example, a patient calls with a, with a question about their bill, which may have been caused by the stealing, mm-hmm. wants to be the person on the other end of that call. And when they're on vacation, of course, they, they can't do that. So they're reluctant to take vacation. Um, thieves typically like to be alone when they steal. You know, part of it is that they don't want to be observed, but the other part is stealing takes concentration. And it's hard to generate that kind of concentration when the office is open and the phones are ringing and you've got, you know, patients wandering lost through the practice. So they'll find a way to get some alone time in the practice. And it might be that they get there an hour before everybody else in the morning, or maybe they just hang around when everybody else goes home, or maybe they make quiet visits to the practice on a weekend so they can do their thing. Uh, That's interesting. Territoriality. They get really possessive about their duties and and they really push back at cross-training anybody to do any part of their job. That's a good one. Because stealing requires, uh, you know, having your hands on a certain number of levers. Mm -hmm. And when you have to give up some of those levers and give them to somebody else, um, now it gets harder. So they, they're, they're very possessive um, and, and territorial, which incidentally plays into what a lot of dentists are looking for. I mean, a lot of dentists have what I call the clinical fantasy. And I'm, I'm not talking about sex in the dental chair. That's the other <laughs> clinical fantasy. This one is the one where they go into work today and they do really high-end work all day. And at five o'clock, they get home and they don't get dragged into the kind of dirty business of running the place. So the the thief who comes in with a bit of a take charge attitude and says, doctor, you go in the operatory and you do your thing there and I'll make sure everything else happens around you. You know, that's, that's exactly the prayer that a lot of dentists have been saying. 
I can see that. And, you know, the other thing is, we know this about dentists. They they tend to have very high standards, you know, perfectionism. And I can see that too. Uh, when, a, when a thief says to them, doctor, I'm going on vacation for a week, but don't let anybody else enter any payments into the software because they will only mess it up. And I'm the only person who can do it right. I mean, to the perfectionist dentist, that is absolutely music to their ears. Mm-hmm. And then it also, I'm just, for myself, I don't like billing either um, as a business owner. I'm like, well, I don't want to do it because I have my hands off on it anyway. So we're fine. You so, know? Um, a few other things I'll add. Um, one thing is that um, thieves will often do what I call a conspicuous display of honesty. Conspicuous display of honesty. Okay. So honest people don't have to, they don't feel the need to expend a lot of effort to convince you of how honest they are. They think you just perceive it and they think everybody else is like that. So they don't, they don't have to tell you, look, I'm being honest with you. Those, those are words a truly honest person will never say because they're always being honest with you. I mean, it's it's implied in everything they say. They never have to make it overt. When somebody says that to you, it says one of two things. Either I'm being honest with you now, but most of the time I'm not. Or I'm never honest, but I want you to think I am, so I'm going to say it. I'm going to take that part out as an excerpt. Because that's definitely one of my pet peeves. People are like, "Well, honestly, Pat, okay. honest." I'm like, "Wait, wait, are you are you are you lying to me all the rest of the time, the rest of our lives?" Um, the, the, so, yeah. But it's not just like saying honestly or candidly or frankly. When they're demonstrating it, or they're making a big show about something, right? Because conspicuous display of honesty, if it has merited. David Harris's attention to where you have its own name in your hall of shame, then what are some of the other conspicuous displays of honesty that I, I did? A, um, I was working on a, what's called a deposition a few years ago. So this is where a lawyer is interviewing an embezzler. Mm-hmm. My job was to write out questions and hand them to the lawyer who would ask them. And then, Based on the answer, I would write up the next question and hand that to the lawyer. So they're just kind of parroting me. Um, and, and this went on for a couple of hours. And over that couple of hours, Patrick, the suspect being interviewed said about a dozen times the words, I swear to God. Mm-hmm. I will swear to God that whatever she said next each time was a big fat lie. And if you think about people who are truly religious, like John Ray, um, first of all, being honest is just part of their duties in in any organized religion. And somebody would never need to invoke the name of the deity to confirm that they're doing what the religion already commands them to do anyway. That's an excellent and insightful point. The other thing I'll say about thieves is that they just process a little bit differently than everybody else. And let's say you're walking down the street in your town and you see that somebody's wallet falls out of their pants, you know, 20 yards in front of you. Mm -hmm. You're going to do probably without a whole lot of conscious thought is just reach down, pick up the wallet, walk a little faster, catch up with the person and say, here, I'm sorry, you dropped this. This is my good deed for the day. 
Yeah. And they, they may end up doing that too, but a couple of questions are going to flash through their mind that might not go through yours. Like, I wonder if anybody else saw this ball. Hmm. Uh, I wonder how much money is in it. And based on the answers to those questions, again, they may, they may take the exact same action you did, but they got there via a little different route. So they're only going to do the good deed for the day if it, if if they if they, if it's a light wallet if they think that not not doing the good deed might get them caught or if they think it's not really worth their while anyway because you know all that's in the wallet is a you know a, a discount coupon for Burger King. <laughs> well, I you know word to the wise to the listeners, I'm a big believer in the good deed for the day, and that will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Um, that's so you're saying the wiring though and these folks in some of their or what you're seeing as a common denominator is different the wiring's different I, it's too bad we can't do experiments on them maybe we could do experiments on them if they would if we could reduce the charges and cut off a tip of their pinky uh, they'd have to agree to that so I'm all, I'm only joking, by the way, listeners, I'm not advocating that at all. It's just kind of a weird joke on my behalf. Um, although I think clearly my disdain for taking stuff that doesn't belong to you should come loud and clear uh, on this show. Um, so Nick, last, last question I have for you, David, is what should a practice owner do if they suspect embezzlement, right? So Dr. John Ray, his spidey senses are tingling. He has got somebody who's taken limos to church and very uh, territorial, uh, won't cross train. And then what? Um, I'll start with what not to do. Okay. No matter what happens, do not let the person you suspect know that they're under suspicion. Why? Because if I'm stealing from Dr. John Ray and I think he's about to catch me and I think what that means is that I'm going to go to jail and, you know, be, be persona non grata in my community, the list of things that I will refuse to do to prevent all that from happening is pretty short. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a discussion once and we're going back 12 years probably with a doctor he, he suspected one of his staff was embezzling. We talked for about half an hour. Um, at the end of that conversation, I was pretty convinced he was right. And what he decided, though, was he didn't want to hire us. He thought he could save some money if he did his own investigation. <laughs> and Sorry. My, my response, exactly. Um, I don't know exactly what happened next, but clearly he did something that spooked her. Mm-hmm. Probably he went to her and asked her for a whole bunch of reports from practice management software that he never asked for before, or something like that. You know, he, he, mm-hmm. he, he probably was not all that all that practiced at being duplicitous. So her response was to come back that night with a can of gasoline and burn down the practice. Wow, that's dramatic. And when he called me back after, he said, "Yeah, that was a little bit of a false economy I was trying to achieve." See, so sometimes you trip over a dollar to pick up a penny is the lesson here. Um, let professionals do their job. Well, I guess um, the person, we weren't involved in any of these, but in three cases that I'm aware of, embezzlers ended up murdering their dentist. Get the, that's, I thought you said they weren't violent. 
Well, in general, they're not. Apparently, three of them took a different approach. Yeah, I don't know. I think you should have a service where you have some some. So, um, what, what I'll what I'll say is this: some guidos up in there. Right now or next year, you suspect that somebody's stealing from you. You need professional help, and you need it now. And don't make the mistake that a lot of us make, which is to confuse somebody who knows twenty percent more than you do with an expert. Um, a lot of times, people will run to their CPA or they'll go to a software trainer from their practice management software, or you know, they'll they'll call somebody like that. Mm-hmm. These these people know more than the dentist does, but they're by no stretch an expert. Sure. And the 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 amateurs dealing in this have infinite capacity to make things worse. They can contaminate the evidence. They can do something that results in murder or arson or something. You know, you. You need an expert, a real expert, and you need them right now. So we have some competitors. I am not the only game in town, but you you absolutely need somebody who does this every day. Gotcha. So I'm going to wrap with this. Do not accuse. And if you suspect something, you need an expert and don't let them burn your practice down or murder you. You need to call David Harris. How do they get in touch with David Harris? Um, if they're going to call me, they can uh, call our toll-free number, which is 888-398-2327. So 888-398-2327. Or they can go on our website, and there's a there's a Contact Us button that's right there. The website is www.prosperident.com. Gotcha. Prosperident.com. All of our listeners, uh, that's 888-398-2327. With us is David Harris, CEO of Prosperident, and he wrote literally the book on dental embezzlement, The Art of Theft and the Science of Control. Um, this has been fascinating, David. Thank you very much for coming on the show. This has been a really terrific show. I've learned a, a lot, and I just wanted to say uh, thank you very much. I hope you had fun. And listeners, uh, if you want to find me, you can always find me at uh, www.practicequotient.com or I'm speaking uh, all over the country this year. So check out uh, me. and uh, I have my pinkies. And so until next time.